living in. We are competing in. We are repeating in. We are believing in. It's time for us to shift our mind from best in the world to best for the world. Make decisions intentional. To take decisions intentional. Making decisions intentional. Making decisions intentional to take decisions intentional. Making decisions intentional. It creates a new world to mind a shift. Intentionality, perceptuality, conceptuality. We are choosing to shift our mind to best for the world, best for our world. Make decisions intentional. Take decisions intentional, making decisions intentional. Make decisions intentional to take decisions intentional, making decisions intentional. Welcome to FIDE, the foundation for intentional decisions, and to the latest episode, number nine already about language. My name is Jens Rinnelt and with me in the studio, as always, my dear co-host Stella Nordahl. Thank you, Jens. Um, great to be here again and um, welcome everyone. We have had uh, a lot of interesting dialogues here. The yeah. This is the ninth? The ninth program, the ninth yes. Program. Okay, so we have explored life in many aspects, I would say, and uh, starting out about with ideas of, of history uh, concerning choices, and, and then we moved into yeah, a lot of ideas concerning uh, fundamental assumptions and guiding principles, and we've also dug into choices as a, as a phenomena itself. Mm. And consciousness, of course, is closely related to that. And today we're going to talk about language. That's right. Yes, mm. exploring language. And I would like to start actually with a experiment of demonstrating the power of language. Mm -hmm. And uh, Stellan, can you answer the question, who are you? <laughs> what a wonderful question. Of course, there are, are easy ways to answer that. I guess a lot of people relate to what they do. Maybe um, functions they have, like a parent or whatever it could be, um, husband, wife, but as you get a little bit more, you don't need to get philosophical. You actually need to get aware of yourself to realize that that's a tricky question. Because as I answer it, I also define myself. So in the same, at the same time I, I answer a question, I also define myself. I am dot, dot, dot. And you can fill in that blank space with whatever you choose. So... Um, Ooh, that's, yeah. Can I answer it? Uh, do I want to answer it? <laughs> uh, uh, in which way do I want to answer it? Is it a, um, a question that uh, is meant to really explore who I am? Or is it just a question of, um, yeah, you, yeah you, you, need, you want to have a relation in some way and you want to start the relation with that question? I don't know. Who? I would say it creates. The language creates. Yeah, and uh, that's, I think you, you answered on point. It's like, uh, 
there are different ways of how you can look at it. And this is actually what I wanted to to test here is um, where is our focus? Um, we talked about the four loops already. Um, and you can define yourself, as you said, in, in, in what am I doing? You know, right now we can say we are the hosts, we're hosting a... That's the first loop. Yeah, mm. we're hosting a radio show. Mm. Then how do we do it? Well, right now we're doing it in your studio here and, and do it uh, with the technology that we have available. Then there's a why of we do it. And as you said, there are different ways on, on how you relate to it and how you can look at it. And it's a powerful question. And uh, I can only invite everyone to test it out once in a while and ask people this kind of question. And you will see where more or less their focus is in, in this moment. Um, as you already said, it cannot the definition of that can also change within the context. So, for example, if, if I go home tonight, I will be uh, a boyfriend. I will be a cat owner. There are different roles that I feel. You almost said a cat. That was close. Cat owner is as close you get to being a cat. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There are a lot of layers, of course. And also, either you describe or you create. And I guess a lot of us maybe... At least I have been brought up in a thought uh, world or a worldview uh, saying to me that it is it's a description of something. Uh, the story is a history instead of something you, you write or conduct or whatever you do. Mm. Uh, but I believe today that that, that is just half of it. So mm. Yeah, it's also interesting that, that you mentioned this because as you say, language is also such a powerful way for, for us humans to describe abstract concepts uh, to other people, to elaborate on ideas that we have. And, and let's be honest, these are mostly thoughts, concepts that are abstract and, and that are metaphysical in itself. So we're not talking about, can I describe this uh, table for you? And, and I can say there are squares on it and, and so on. I mean, I can still do it, but we can agree like there is a certain yeah, truth in it or, or we can agree at least on, on what are the colors are even if we have maybe different perspectives you sit on this table side of the table I sit on the other side but what I want to get is is how can we use language as creating mm. and as you said this is um, yeah and also realize what what language really is I mean it's a way of communicating and, and to be able to to um, have a conversation or create something together and of course we have to have conventions of that language so what is for instance a red strawberry <laughs> uh, so we have a clear view of what a red strawberry is but the interesting thing is that a red strawberry is actually everything but red so the the convention of using uh, the name red strawberry is not actually describing what it is it's more a convention to be able to to um, to know, uh, to have uh, have a common understanding of a red strawberry, but the thing is, if you look physically to it, it's uh, actually uh, everything but red, <laughs> uh, and that is interesting in itself. So there are conventions in the language, which makes us able to use the language. Uh, so being aware of that means that all words we have create. Every time we want to describe, it's also creating. Mm. So who are you, Jens? <laughs> who are you? 
yeah, you could say I have a complex relationship with uh, life, <laughs> <laughs> with with myself and my environment. <laughs> uh, that's great. So um, I, I I would say that language is actually the how uh, if we look at at how how we as humans manifest things. The language is what takes things from thoughts to uh, to things. The language is what ta- makes uh, our ideas, our fantasies, our dreams come come into reality. Uh, I mean, the dreams are real. I would say anyone who have had a nightmare wouldn't say anything <laughs> else than it's real. But then you wake up and you realize that it's not yet manifested. <laughs> so it's uh, maybe good to, to have that ability to see that it was a dream, but the dream itself was real. Uh, so when I'm talking about reality, uh, it's wha- for me, at least, it's what I uh, can't say is anything else than real. That's my interpretation and definition of, of reality. Uh, and at the same time, I also know that there are other va- ways to look at it, where you define reality as, as something that is measurable or something that you can touch upon or see at least. Um, again, uh, that doesn't say that it's not real, um, but maybe there are more things that are real. And what do we then create with the language? Wha- mm. What what does words say? Uh, what what are words? And uh, if we look into a biblical interpretation, that is actually where everything starts. First, there was the word. Mm. I think you mentioned an uh, interesting aspect because how can we use language really to make something seen that that has not been manifested yet or has no physical form and and i'm thinking here of an example that that we both have been part of and and that is the strategy conference that we had uh, with Embrogage, the company that we both own together uh, and a couple of weeks ago we had basically one of these strategy sessions so we come together we present uh, presented the financial results of the last year and we reflected on what we have learned as a whole company uh, in the past year but we also set intentions forward uh, what is yeah what we are going to co-create or what we would like to co-create in 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 the future so you could say on on that level it's quite an ordinary meeting um, where yeah knowledge is exchanged but I think we also had a very interesting reflection at the end of this meeting where we asked so what does it all mean now to everybody who is present there and I think that's where it really went interesting because a lot of people said well this company has been existing for two years now and a lot of people expressed that this is an in- a, a point in time where there's some change in energy we have been focusing a lot in these two years maybe on on ourselves, on how we work, defining uh, how things are, setting up structures, uh, explaining these structures to everybody, and then kind of you know finding a common language that everybody can relate to. Um, but now it seems like this turns more towards okay. Now we we are almost all on the same page. We have the same language and, and understanding. It's easier to write the book then. Yeah, and now we can start writing the book, so to say, and fill these pages with co-creations and and with mm. things that are yeah that we want to manifest. Can you create something without the words? 
create something without words. Mm. I've, I've been thinking a lot of this. Uh, last year there was an article in, in the newspaper saying that they found a new language. Mm. It was uh, linguists at, at the L uh, University of Lund here in Sweden that have found a new language and the first thing I, I'm, I'm thinking of is like okay uh, was there like a an, an, um, new people that were found <laughs> no anthropologists have found those those people before it was uh, I think somewhere in, in Indonesia or out in I don't really remember exactly the <coughs> but this was the first time that we realized that this was another a new language is uh, new or new but not formally known uh, language uh, in the in the western world it's called Yerek and Yedek was spoken by uh, 250 uh, people or something, persons. And in the language of Yedek, there were no words for, what do you say, uh, violence between people. There were no words to describe interrelated uh, violence. Mm -hmm. What does that mean, really? Mm. Yeah, that's also interesting. What do you use the words for as, as describing a concept? Maybe they didn't have a concept for these things. No, 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 no. There were no uh, violence in between the people. Yeah, exactly. So uh, first of all, one could say that there was no need to describe it. So by that, there were no words. But from my point of view, that's just half the story. The, uh, the rest of the story is that you can't actually create that because you don't have words conceptual to conceptualize it. So you don't have words for describing it as there are no uh, concept that you have to describe, but you can't create it if you don't have the words. Then you have to have like a fantasy uh, with uh, creating those words, uh, more or less. Hmm. And this is part of what I wanted to highlight with my example is like, hmm. what do you? How do you interpret a sit situation? How do you use words to, yeah, abstract meaning out of a situation? And as you said there lies so much power in, in this and, and we have seen this also in the past weeks in framing concepts that uh, helps us actually to to describe new situations, describe how we look at certain things from a certain perspective. We, for example, created the, the phrase corona opportunities and a lot of people speak about a crisis and a crisis moment and then, yeah. And of course you can talk about the value of a crisis um, but I mean, you can also look at it already from a very positive connotation point of view, saying, well, the situation we are facing is a situation with a lot of opportunities. Mm. Mm. Definitely. And, and by using that terminology, you also create them. So this is also from this language of Yedek. When they studied the language, they also studied the people there. And, and the thing was in, in this context was that, or in this language and, and in this uh, community, that the parents, they encouraged their children not to compete. <laughs> Which is also in itself extremely interesting. I don't know if it was interconnected to the previous uh, thing I said, but um, just by adding that idea was for me a revelation more or less that okay what happens if we we don't take for granted uh, things as competition for instance what if we take an something else for granted and also encourage our children to focus on on specific phenomena that we're interested in 
What happens if we, with our language, say to people, we value that you answer the question, who am I? In terms of not physical doings, but in terms of what do you want to be? What life do you want to have? What do you want to stand for? What are your values? What do you want to bring to the world? What do you, how do you want to leave this planet? And what do you want to, to uh, bring to next coming generations? That are, these are really powerful questions, I believe. Yeah. Mm. There is a totally different phrasing instead of what do you want to work with? Uh, what do you want to study? Yeah, and it's opening up to more possibilities, more opportunities. On one hand, yes. On, on the other hand, it also puts the choice in, into your hands. Hmm. How do I want to frame myself? I mean, framing is important in many. That creates meaning. But are those frames enabling stuff or are they limiting stuff? Yeah. I, I can take as an example. I had, um, yeah, that is uh, exactly how, how, how this is. Every word creates, if we, the, the perception itself creates reality, right? Mm -hmm. You're following that? Okay. So every word is then creating something. And you have followed this program seri series of, of uh, feeder programs. You, you heard my story in one of the first uh, episodes, and very short for you who haven't followed it. it, it uh, I was uh, first being a parent in 2005 when my firstborn daughter was born. A uh, year later, she died, and the year after that, my, my first son was born. And in that time period, a lot of things happened. Uh, I, I often say when you choose openness and, and uh, in the same at the same time you have a lot of friction uh, there is an opportunity of learning so there was a lot of things going on um, yeah a lot of things happened and a lot of learning came came uh, into my life and I was often presented as with acceptance I should accept in more or less uh, meaning resignation you should accept resignate give up you understand? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So I was, I don't know what the word is in English, but as soon as I heard acceptance, it, it, it turned everything up and down. I didn't want to go close to acceptance because I, I believe that acceptance was presented in, in terms of resignation, to resign, mm -hmm. to give up. Mm -hmm. Things are, or a uh, certain thing is, or things are, end, period. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came out after those uh, in this time period into the we can call it so-called normal life uh, where people uh, yeah everything had during m the time I was away from 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 the world it was still going on so very strange uh, feeling and, and a lot of people at this time it was in 2006 2007 um, spoke about um, mindfulness and yoga stuff like that which was really on rise uh, and very often they talked in terms of acceptance and I was like okay a lot of things they ever got right but this one they got wrong <laughs> <laughs> but then as time passed I realized that if I was presented with acceptance as something is 
it was uh, like um, uh, wood and uh, wooden stock that you more or less hit with your head. I realized that those people used it as in another term, uh, in another uh, way. It was more like, how can I say it? Almost like the serenity prayer in, in the Christianity, uh, where you know where some things are possible and some things are not possible, and you should be wise enough to 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 understand what what is what. And then I realized that that was one side of it, but at that point where where something was presented as possible or impossible, on the other side of it, I could also get to choose. It was more like. Uh, um something I could turn uh, to impossible or possible depending on how uh, I looked at it. Mm. And then I realized that there was also another one, another with an uh, even higher consciousness level. I could actually say that acceptance was not, s didn't say anything how things was. Maybe how they were, but nothing what they could be. And then it turned this wooden uh, um, log into something where I could a stepping stone to, to something new hmm. and the same word actually had four different meanings first meaning was acceptance equals things are end of story next one there is something that could be seen as possible and something that could be seen as impossible and you should be wise enough to know the difference and the third version of it was uh, Possible, impossible, and you get to choose. <laughs> <laughs> and the fourth one was, it doesn't say anything about what is. It maybe said something of what was, but nothing of what can be. Mm. That's really interesting of how you link one, you can say, a wording of a, of a phenomenon uh, that is uh, explained in, in, in different, uh, yeah, basically based on the four loops. Yeah, in some way, mm. and uh, how this interpretation of of the same word changes uh, depending on, as you said, how you look at it. Basically, mm. if we use use the tree metaphor and we use the intentional decision model, it would be like uh, in physical me, things are. End of story. In formal we, there is some kind of a rational, analytical way of thinking of impossible, possible. And the only wisdom you can have is to, to know which is which. And then in creative together, you can actually create. So you can, you can choose what is possible and impossible on different levels, depending on, 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 uh, on, your, on yeah, your internal resources, maybe, I don't know. And then in Conscious United, uh, you have the possibility to choose fri freely and you can define. Hmm. It's also interesting uh, because the word in itself... Uh, impossible already says i think there's a realm of possibilities in there yeah. and and probably outside of yeah. this realm there's even more opportunities or possibilities yeah. that that we are not even aware of or mm. i guess while saying this you become aware of it as soon as you have said impossible it's actually at least a little bit possible <laughs> and the interesting thing is i don't know if you've seen this man but impossible actually says i'm possible mm. <laughs> I love that man. Uh, what a wonderful man. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of words change as you go through this idea of 
first of all we have the separation and then you have some kind of a relation and then you actually in you see that everything is a, a system and and, and uh, if we use the again i think we have cho showed this before but if you use intentional decision and the tree metaphor you can you can also talk about for instance in in any area of course you can talk about different words if we go for sustainability as a word uh, sustainability is uh, in silos if we if we look at physical me they're not even related so they're both separated and non-related and and one silo doesn't affect the other one and profit is uh, probably the most interesting silo and then we have the formal we where we at least realize that there are uh, there are more than one type of of sustainability there are different separated areas but they are not related and then you come into creative together where you realize they are related in some way um, and um, they have some kind of interconnection which is the sustainability connection then and then you realize in conscious united that everything is a system so it's if, if those uh, sustainabilities the economical the environmental and the social if they are if they are seen as lenses, this is where all lenses uh, are uh, in one line. Mm. Yeah, you g gave now some examples of how um, a word changes its meaning depending on, y on your worldview. Mm. Is there also the other possibility that uh, the same meaning has different words? Yeah, I would say, and also words that are um, uh, more or less extremely useful in, in one worldview, but in another they are like obsolete. <laughs> we, can we can take the one we already mentioned about competition. So uh, competition is really, it's more or less a, a, a truth. Uh, it's something that is in, in terms of... Uh physical me and formal we so it's more or less a universal law when we look at the nature we even define evolution in terms of competition it says the um, the uh, yeah the genes are, are uh, uh, what do you call it uh, um, selfish, selfish so yeah so the selfish genes um, an idea presented uh, because of of the separation i would say um, and today when we look at the world with an another pair of glasses or with a new eyes or whatever you call it you can see that there are films from both nature and, and other uh, producers bbc and so on and and they have yeah, they have they see other things they see where which was previous, the competition was the main rule. The main rule is now together. And the previous main rule is like something that is extraordinary. Uh, it's not the ordinary. The ordinary is together. Hmm. And it's interesting if you look, for example, the, the example I'm thinking of here is like uh, a shark eating a, a smaller fish. And you could say, well, that's how the shark survives. It's, you know, role as, a, as the strongest uh, and survival... Uh, and this is how evolution works. But from another perspective, can't, couldn't you also say that both are playing their role in a bigger picture? Mm. I mean, the shark can only survive if there are smaller fish to be eaten. Mm. 
and then maybe the smaller fish also benefits um, from yeah from from things the shark does codependence codependence exactly so and with if you would take out one of these elements of mm. the system the whole system would be changed yeah probably um, collapse in some sense or a, dr a radical change mm. we know that from ecosystem thinking that uh, if we take away parts that seem to be um, in the margins they're they're not in the margins they're actually uh, really 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 uh, part of not only part of the system they are crucial for the system hmm. so it's uh, yeah and I believe that if, if we take examples here there are many examples there were last year there was also another interesting uh, scientific uh, article in, in the newspaper saying that it was like an on Ant uh, scientist. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I mentioned this before. No. No. I think okay. Uh, ant scientist. You study uh, uh, some kind of ants. I don't remember the name of them. They were part of their ecosystem was that they were fighting termites, which is a bigger ant, I guess. And and, and uh, on the fields there were a lot of injured ants. And what he uh, saw was that. Um, their friends and relatives or whatever it was like the, the rest of the ants <laughs> they went out on on the battlefield and and they brought back their wounded uh, fellows and then they licked their uh, their um, injuries and there was a remarkable recovery so he took everything into the lab and he and then he realized that those ants who were left out on the battlefield uh, only 10% survived but the ones that they brought in into the into their like uh, what do you call it uh, and uh, yeah yeah whatever name of it yeah, is housing housing <laughs> <laughs> yeah the ants housing yeah um, eighty percent survived so in terms of selfish gene this this can't really be explained hmm. uh, it's actually more or less the opposite of it and. Yet, this is the language. So this scientist tried really hard to find a way to describe this phenomena from a self-gene perspective, saying that, yeah, but maybe on three or four generations they, they could really be uh, uh, yeah, surviving uh, uh, f better or more fit than the rest of the, of the ants. And so the language is limiting us by by default, actually, because it's only giving us the conceptuality uh, or perception that the words themselves bring to it. Mm. That's so interesting. So what you're implying here, is at least what I'm understanding, is that we need to have new language. And I mean, we have seen this in, in the program quite ourselves, that we struggle sometimes to find wording that tries to actually pinpoint exactly what we want to address. But because we don't have the right wording for it, it, it was kind of challenging to, to get our ideas across or to mm. fully explain the intention that, that we have. We can, we can use the word uh, empathy, which is one of the dimensions, intentional decisions. Empathy, um, as far as the, the Western society, at least 10 years ago when, when this model was uh, really new, um, even if it still is... Uh, 
is uh, new on the market, <laughs> so to say. It was more or less uh, not known by many people. At that point, empathy was seen as the ability to feel someone else's pain. So it's uh, connected to suffering. So if you suffered, I could understand your suffering. That was empathy. Or um, and it was almost like it was something that was bad because if you used empathy in that context, uh, you actually felt the same uh, feelings. So how can we then redefine empathy? Because in this context, if, if we go, for instance, if, if the other direction of that uh, dimension is sympathy, well, sympathy um, looks could look like empathy. For instance, you see, for instance, a beggar you, when you come out from mm. the from the grocery sh uh, shop or grocery store, and what do you do then? Of course, you can choose to give uh, some money or not, but what is the greatest gift you can then give? That will probably be to see this person in another context, <laughs> to see how this person could thrive in another context. Instead, you it's you wouldn't see something as it is, but as it could be, or as Definitely. you not only as it could be, but as you put someone else just yeah. in a different context. Uh, yes, and and of course, I, I wouldn't say it's not right to give money because it could be, but what you really do is that you you cementize the context that that person al is already in. So basically, strengthen the position the person is in yes, by yes, amplifying yes, uh, this yeah. instead of creating. This is also some. This is really interesting because, um, I mean, who could argue with giving money or maybe even food to such a person is, is, the right thing to do. But on another level, what does it really do? Is it amplifies and then re, re strengthened? How how can I say this? You know, it, it yeah, it re encourages basically the situation the person is in and how I look at that person. Mm. What would be the best, not the best, what would be another thing to do mm -hmm. is maybe I can have a company and then take the person and say, well, do you want to, you know, work? Do you want to, I can give you a job. Uh, I can give you I something that brings you out of the situation. Or that maybe you can ask, is there something we can do together? Yeah. Is there something we can do together to, to, uh, to bring you from this context into a new context? Of course, that could be hard to answer. Uh, I, I really believe that if, if because we also cementize our own behaviors and our own habits. And a habit is actually a cementized behavior. Uh, so, of course, that becomes your paradigm. Uh, you are a beggar. And, and uh, what, what do you define yourself? Uh, I am dot, 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 whatever you fill that mm. empty space with. Um, of course, that is not the choice of many to, to say I'm a beggar. Um, not not many of those beggars would say that's what I wanted from life. So let's redefine then uh, empathy and see how can we use empathy to to s to see someone in another context. And that someone can be yourself. So empathy could actually be the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and that someone else could be a future you. Huh. And then that's stretching empathy into a, a new realm of or possibilities. Mm. It's really interesting um, how how language creates opportunities and uh, yeah and limits. Of course, it also frames, mm. um, but I mean, what doesn't? <laughs> mm. So I mean, 
some of the words I would say we have today need some kind of update but we also need new words and some of the words we use are obsolete when we move into creative mode and, and into the direction of best for the world so uh, we can take another example for instance if we take um, uh, I mean we have results that's Im important I mean everything we do creates a result but what if we limit the results to only what is measurable then we value only what is measurable okay so how can we value something else we can take the word success what is success if we have competition success to win hmm. you have to win to be successful right and in that language in, in that worldview every winner needs at least one loser so winning and losing becomes um, yeah two ways in the same balance so you can't you can't have both at the same time either this or this so that's a definition then of success but what if success equals what I say is congruent to why I, what I do so saying and doing when that is when that is congruent I am successful hmm. is that a relevant definition yes it is at the same time it also includes the previous definition of it so a part of that would be saying I'm winning and doing that will be successful but that could be just one definition of it you can actually have a lot of them if you have what I say and what I do is co uh, congruent hmm. I mean this is one of the main stories that we talk about when we talk about the paradigm shift from being best in the world uh, being as you said winning winning over somebody else or transforming to becoming actually or being best for the world um, um, and that is probably as you said a different definition of, of success mm. can you explain for me what is the thinking behind this why is this you know why do I assume that I have to be best in the world to make actually a contribution yeah that's a good question uh, I don't say that this is the the only reason behind it but I believe that when the only way to look at evolution is selfish gene we have it then coded into the language mm. the next one would be what are we presented what what kind of a world we are we presented this I think we talked about in one of the first programs when we talked about the continuum concept when we spoke about uh, values we can also use language uh, and the continuum concept by Lidlov was first part of life you get it more, more or less by the breast milk so you're grown into a thought model a worldview a paradigm and in the second part of your life um, you get experiences and you almost drag them to yourself that are um, amplifying and, 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 and establishing that worldview or language or whatever we call it belief system and then in the uh, last part of your life you do everything you can to to defend it mm. so I would say uh, looking into a newborn's eyes doesn't say competition that's not the language of of, uh, of a newborn 
human or any any newborn uh, creature so it's again what we are training uh, i believe so yeah newborns to to yeah. become accustomed to yeah both train them and also thought models or belief systems that are presented um maybe we're not even aware of it uh, we do it uh, unconsciously or even more specific subconsciously we have like uh, habits uh, and uh, i would say a lot of the evolution is habitual so if we're presented such a worldview and it's valued high and with practices over and over again it takes a lot to break that we can call it rule or truth hmm. i'm not saying that it is this is the only explanation i believe but, but i believe it's a um, yeah a very large part of it i guess hmm. and then when you are speaking about best for the world you have uh, yeah, as you probably already assume now a different worldview and then different assumptions about the world um, and, and for me more it's a focus yeah. for perhaps on, on collaboration, on, on working together. Yeah, definitely. A and for me, best for the world, uh, first of all, you have to realize it's different for different people. So it varies. Uh, and the second interesting thing is that there is a common denominator, I guess. And what we have found in intentional decision, I, I again, I'm not saying this is the only truth, but I would say it's quite interesting when we realize that empathy over sympathy, proactivity before reactivity and engagement over attendance means that we're moving in the direction of best for the world. So best for the world is not a, a, a destination. Uh, it's more or less a direction. So... Um, yeah, and as you said, this could look different to different people, but this is also something interesting I realize is like from a formal we perspective, you can talk about, for example, what is truth? And you could say truth is what we agree upon in this room. So if we say, well, the table is green, then this is our truth. But on another level, and then that is where I would say this is more the, the, the conscious united is also linking back to the idea that we need to have an ethical framework like if we take the world the planet as the how can i say it like the first principle that we need to focus on then it doesn't really matter what we agree mm. as the truth but there is some some other entity that mm. that defines what we should be focusing on yeah we're struggling right now as a world with those uh, issues and and i believe the best we have uh, come up with is the agenda 2030 and the uh, sustainable development goals and i'm very thankful for for uh, for the people behind this work uh, that we have actually been able to unite behind them in some way at least and again there are goals so um what i'm thinking of here is that what happens if we take those goals and we put them as fundament for our decisions we say that they are not goals any longer they are from wh where we work from uh, so we're standing them uh, instead of having them in front of us we're standing at them and saying okay this is the way everything has to work hmm. what happens then yeah if you use them as design criteria yeah, design criteria yeah. for uh, putting up an organization uh, setting up a business model uh, creating a um, societal system or whatever um, life and we have had those uh, and, and a lot of thought mo uh, systems and belief systems have those principles um, within themselves uh, 
but in the western world or in the in the thought uh, system that we are uh, living which i believe is also right now or has been at least the role model for uh, societies is uh, has a total lack of of that understanding and um, doesn't connect to to values that are not physically seen and measurable in terms of uh, length, width, height, uh, time, space. It's also interesting to reflect upon is that the most dominant worldview might not be the, the best worldview for the world. Mm. Um, just because, uh, I don't know, someone speaks up in a meeting, is always the loudest person in the room, doesn't make it the right, you know, thing to say or to do. Um, there might be different perspectives yeah. and yeah. I mean you probably have also a lot of experiences where you talk about these things but you realize like people in the room can't even grasp it or, or they're they, they are so much into their own worldview that mm -hmm. they can't even see something that is outside of it. Yeah, and I mean we spoke about my own experience where I realized well I'm, I'm, I'm in a work environment that doesn't even um, allow really for own contribution or when I did it uh, then I realized well the questions I asked they were not really appreciated there and um, well that is okay in, in some degree but it I also realized that at this point I don't have to or I don't want to be in this environment an anymore because I can't change anything in it and I'm also not fully appreciated there so if I would stay there it will probably over time make me very depressive mm. yeah and, and, there, and then you have to find a language which creates a new world for you a new context a new working environment a new life a new family or whatever it is uh, that you are uh, in interested in mm. to have or to be in or to live in yeah and what I'm trying to get at is here that that sometimes there are experiences that are interpreted in such a way that that you can realize well I totally have a different worldview than someone else and then you've I found it at least challenging up to this point to to have a dialogue with with people that have a different worldview because in some way we can't even grasp mm. the the fundamental assumptions of the other person no that's right and, and you're you're there to actually have we can take uh, some new words then uh, words that are used in terms of conversations and, and communication and one of them uh, are is uh, uh, discussion huh. let's have a discussion on that that's very often something you say uh, without reflecting on what does discussion mean discussion means it's uh, to take apart it's uh, also used when you like uh, i don't know what the english word but the in Sweden, if you take apart a part of the dead animal, you, you uh, use the same words as uh, dissecer, I don't know what the word Dissect. Dissect, yeah, yeah, that's the same um, first part of the word. So dissect and discussion, it's take apart. So, and then you have um, debate. It's from the French, the battle, which means, I don't know how to pronounce it in French, but that means to take uh, your arguments and, and knock the uh, in <laughs> the other person's head and uh, then then we have dialogue which means 
A lot of people think dia is two. No, that's duo. So duologue is uh, between you and I here, and dialogue is when, when we are more people, or two, of course, where dialogue means to understand the other person's argument. So if we put them into this framework, I would say um, discuss will be formal we maybe. Debate is where you go to um, to uh, rational me or physical me. Uh, and dialogue needs a way of seeing more values and an empathic way of talking and listening. Mm-hmm. It requires a lot of being curious, I guess, being asking questions mm. and really wanting to know the answer and not just asking to, to prove a point or, or to, you know, follow up with, yeah. but here's my point of view. Question and, and to question. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and and uh, in Sweden, uh, w- uh, the last election we had there is was uh, very often the, the last debate is uh, between the, the leaders of the parties the night before the election. This was even this time it was not only called the debate you know what it's called <laughs> duel a duel yeah oh. you know where you shoot down the <laughs> other one <laughs> so and I, b- I i would say if you ask me i believe in in finding ways that are not putting us in opposition so and choose boo both and and over um, either or or mm-hmm. that's a good approach it's uh i think comes a little bit from this um uh, improv theater where you you can actually test this uh when when next time you're in a meeting try to say yes to whatever has been said before and mm. in order to build up on mm. on what has been s- uh, said because Instead so many times or, uh, yeah exactly yeah. i mean i i do it also a lot of times that i say yeah some way we agree but here's my perspective but it, but, but it's an e- interesting uh, connector because it erases what was said before so if i say you you have a nice look but uh, <laughs> then then i er- erase what was just said so but works like that um instead i say you have a nice look and 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 a nice shirt and thank you for that stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and what i'm saying here is that words create and and those short in between words like but and and or or, or either or whatever it is that connect stuff they are probably more creating stuff than we probably are realize yeah, and it's interesting how to use really language. And I wanted to have another aspect that uh, builds up on this sometimes challenging way of explaining the world to, uh, well, not explaining the world, but of, of trying to understand how do I make sense of the world and how does someone else make sense of the world and why is it so difficult to, to find a common understanding or why it sometimes feels that that really people are in opposition to each other and and Mm. their argumentation also can't come together because they are speaking from so different worldviews that yeah you're basically stuck in a in a a discussion yeah yeah, but it could be that they're from different worldviews because all of our are we we all have our own worldview but we are at least facing each other 
what if we just turn around on the chairs and look in the other direction? Try it out uh, and see how much of, of the dialogue is there when I talk in another direction. Uh, if I talk uh, totally in opposite of, of your, then I can't even see you. I can't, I mean, I don't know even know how, how your face looks like right now. Hmm. So, so there's yeah. a different shall way we, Shall we turn <laughs> it back <laughs> because it feels a little bit odd? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, this is also interesting because we not only communicate then with our language, but we also take in body language, for example. This is how we make sense of, oh, how do you react to something that I say, how I can build up on that. Um, the context itself. The context itself. We're in the library. And mm. which is also interesting. This is one of the parts we, we touched upon in, in one of the earlier programs is where we said in the normal linear model, the interaction between two people happens in the behavior. Mm. So you could also say, well, language is way one way of behaving, of expressing ideas. Mm. But what if, could it also be that there is, uh, the question basically that I have is, could we interact in a way without using language? Is that a question? <laughs> or is it like a... Uh, Maybe it's a rhetorical question. Yeah, okay. So, okay. Then you know the answer then. Because I believe that there are different ways of how can we can communicate and make sense of the world that don't require really language. So, for example, as we said, we are part of this both of this dialogue. And if we would continue this dialogue with the backs towards each other, I, I don't have any sense of, of how you react. Do you remember, Jens, a couple of programs, uh, episodes before, I don't know exactly what was the topic of it, but uh, this was the one with the pen. Mm. You remember what you told me afterwards? I don't know if you said it in the program, but afterwards you told me something. Do you want to share it or shall I? Uh, you probably know best. What yeah, what you I said something like, I don't know exactly what you meant, but you said something like, I knew that this was coming without mm. you saying it. Exactly. This is and you've never I seen me doing this, I guess, because no. I, that's not the, the ordinary. <laughs> I have that in some... Some no, we uh, don't do that in the afternoons. No, we <laughs> no, no, no. Hang out together. Yeah. No, but it's that's exactly what I'm referring to. Is like, can I understand what you're doing by having an intuitive insight? Can I, you know, can we talk about the same things? I mean, you gave the example, for example, that we are part of this dialogue, mm. and is it you and me talking with each other, or is it us talking, and there's no, you know, difference because we are both part of the same dialogue. Mm. Yeah, and the more I, I listen to it, the more I resonate with it. And that's interesting. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I told you, but I, I, I sing uh, in, in a men's choir or in a quartet. And when the times when I'm singing uh, where at the same times when I'm listening at most, that is where the harmonies are. Hmm. If I don't listen to the, uh, to the rest of the song, the the other uh, the other people singing uh, we ha I don't know if you know about men's choir but the idea is that you have uh, you don't sing the same uh, what is called uh, um, yeah it's the same song in some sense but it's not the same melody oh yeah never mind I don't know what it's called stemma in Swedish uh, mm. yeah, key uh, maybe the key yeah okay yeah, well, maybe the key is the same but it's yeah the ones who knows about uh, choir uh, Choir, you know what I'm talking about. The thing is, I have you to sing in different octaves, right? This is yeah, yeah. more or less, yeah. 
you can say that maybe mm. uh, but the thing is that when when you do that you need to listen because otherwise you don't find the harmonies and you also have to be listening so much so you know maybe not consciously but more unconsciously i say when you have to be the lead so the lead is shifting very often one maybe has the lead but very often the lead is shifting between in between those uh, four uh, people and you really have to listen to be able to find the harmonies and the tonality is it loud or is it well, is it a little bit gentle is it like yeah the best music is when 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 the harmonies are are bearing the song mm. i think it's the same with the dialogue that when you really listen to it you're into it you're not a part you are the dialogue and the dialogue is you yeah you're really in in sync or i think in harmony i guess in harmony you said uh, last time that that spirit for example means being in spirit I think that's what I'm thinking of right now. It's like we are both connecting to something. Yeah, is it part of us? Is it is if are we part of it right now? Um, are we it? Are we it? Yeah, I mean everything happens at the same time. Yeah, and, and a lot of descriptions we have is that we are part of something. That's you're part of an organization. You're part of society. You're part of whatever you're part of. That is taking again things apart. So can we find words that are not separating? Can we say that I am the dialogue and you are the dialogue? We're in the dialogue together. We are in an organization together. Then we're not parts of the organization. We are in the organization together. End of story. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I believe that finding those words or descriptions or creative words or whatever we say uh, call it is right now crucial for mankind and for society mm. and we know that again we have those sustainable development goals and uh, Jakob Tolbeck was one who, who made those uh, fantastical uh, 17 signs or 169 goals is actually what we have together uh, even if the 17 are the ones that are most communicated a year ago, he, he wrote an, uh, an article which uh, was about, yeah, we really made it people aware of, of those sustainable development goals. So it's like a lot of people have bought a gym card. But then he wrote, but no one is really going to the gym. So both me and a lot of people around us, they we have been thinking of this. So we were three people here last um Last autumn, it was me, a woman called Christina Diné, and a guy called Pontus Ristet. We we thought about what if we could use intentional decisions here to to find principles to uh, reach the goals without. I mean, if we focus on one goal, it could be that we ruin the rest of them. Or when we focus on something, it's not just that everything else gets blurry. It's also, do I really contribute to that goal? How do I contribute? And is it even relevant to contribute to that goal? Or and if we use principles, we could uh, complement the sustainab sustainable development goals. And then we came up with the idea, what if we take those 169 uh, um, 
development goals, sustainable development goals, the SDGs, and look at the language of it. Can we then sort them to the consciousne consciousness level in the intentional decisions model? The physical me, formal we, created together and conscious united. So what we came up with was an idea that yes, it was possible. So first of all, we tried out the, the, the uh, for you who are following the uh, YouTube stream, there is now a picture of those uh, consciousness levels in, in intentional decision. And the idea was then, what if we find the words for each consciousness level and then we sort the 169 goals into it. And the next picture I'm going to show is just uh, a way of talking about it. These are the 70 main goals, so it's not actually down to every one of the 169. This is right now a transcription or uh, some kind of... Um, not translation, more transcreative way of talking about how can we transform goals into into consciousness level because where we are is where we get the power from. So you said before, Jens, uh, are there words that are relevant, more or less relevant in, in, in terms of, of consciousness level? Definitely. So for instance here we have in the physical me we have words of survival. And in the formal we, we have words like infrastructure, we have rational, analysis, and so on, analytical, efficient. And in Creative Together, we have cooperation, together, we also talk about heart, and inclusive society, and stuff like that. And Conscious United, then we have uh, co-creation, learn together, full of insights, and stuff like that. So that means if we can use this idea, then by using the language of each uh, consciousness level, we have a very powerful, we can call it tool for a while, or way of looking at it, or way of working, which transcribes and transcreates goals into principles. Mm. I think it's really powerful because it gives a language that speaks to different worldviews, but it also looks at it from a holistic perspective because all of them are needed yeah, um, on certain levels. Um, no one is to be left behind. So everyone can onboard this idea. Yeah, and I, I really like it and it reminds me actually of, of a couple of workshops that we have done together as well. Is uh, Can you put yourself in another worldview and look on your current tools, on your current way of doing things, and see more opportunities coming out of this. Mm. Um, and um, the workshop I'm talking about is creating business in a new paradigm, mm. which is basically where we have done exactly this. Um, we have used some of the most used uh, tools for business development, like the Lean Startup, Business Model Canvas, um, a pitching tool, team development goals, SWOT. SWOT, exactly. And we looked basically on it from a, I would say, consciously united perspective. Um, and the definition didn't came actually from us. It was always created in the workshop itself by the participants. And they basically created lenses to look at these tools. 
And then we ask them, so what do you see? Do you see something that is redundant now? Do you see something that needs to be added here? And it was always interesting that people, whatever they saw, there was always something which, how can I say it? There was something that needed to be added. Because or changed, maybe or in changed, terms of yeah. wordings. Mm. On a, and that, what that really implies for me is that the tools we have are also created from a certain consciousness level mm. and that we use on a daily basis to yeah, create businesses, to you know, design uh, projects, to design whatever creation we are mm. desiring to create. Um, but then we can look at it from a, uh, another worldview, from a maybe perhaps more complex worldview, and you can see that from this understanding things are missing, need to be changed, need to be added, need to maybe be only reformulated in the language. Mm. And I think that's a very powerful tool of translating different worldviews and then finding a common language. Um, yeah. And then for yeah. the benefit of, of the planet. Mm. I do agree. And, and I also believe that when you do that kind of transformative workshops, you also get the new language in itself. You get aware of what the language you have creates. Every word, for instance, is what if we talk about strength and weaknesses, uh, you don't have to think of it for a long before you realize it's contextual. And as it is contextual, every strength can be a weakness and every weakness can be a strength, depending on the context. And also how you look at what is a strength. What is the fundamental assumption behind um, a strength or a weakness? I mean, a lot of people today, they are sorted out in the community by combinations of letters, ADHD or whatever it is. And that is just, uh, for me at least, the lack of understanding or capability of the society to see those strengths. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, and, and, and I'm. Uh, I mean, if we learn, look into the school system. I don't know how it works in, uh, in many other countries, but in Sweden, very often you talk about uh, kids with special needs, uh, and and also kids with uh, special abilities. So that means that there is, in, in like in in a normal, uh, uh, what do you call that, um, standard uh, standard curve. Uh, these are the. Um the person, what do you call it, called? percentiles, now we we'll call it. Uh, the extremes. The extremes. But what if we would have looked at it like all kids have special needs and all kids have special abilities? That would frame it totally different. That would probably need a reinventing of, of, of school system. Mm. Yeah. So and in some way we have to understand where we're coming from. If you have one defined norm of everybody should be fitting in and then there's someone who is maybe outside that definition is the person the problem or maybe is the design of the system the problem yeah and, and a lot of people say that yeah we have now organizations which makes people um, frustrated or they uh, uh, hit the wall or uh, what do you call it they work themselves exhausted or but i would say that's not the system that is the problem because they deliver what they are set to do. So as long as we um, use the language to create that kind of systems, uh, 
this is what we get. This is the result again from such a system. It's nothing that you can blame the system for. <laughs> it's us who have created the system. We need better words. We need new words and we need to redefine them. So what do you say? Should that be the end of, of, of the story for today? I was just thinking that's the, the perfect ending for mm. it. Uh. And uh, thank you for uh, being with us today. And please, um, if you want to support us, uh, uh, one way is to, uh, to comment and share, of course, the material. And also, please uh, support us on Patreon. We have the Patreon account, uh, Best for the World. And if you're interested in, in those uh, topics, um, don't hesitate to, to contact uh, either of us. And uh, thanks for now. And uh, uh, see you uh, soon again. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.